Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to episode number 114 of the ET PhD team podcast with myself and Nai. Hi, Nai, how are you? Very good, thank you. Happy to be back here. You went quiet there. Was that, maybe, that was maybe my earphone since I am in the middle of nowhere. But I am very glad to have you back also. Uh, how are you, Anna? I am good, thank you. All good, how are you? I am swell, thank you. I would like to apologise in advance to any of the listeners today who hears basically a demolition site outside of our house. Um, this is the only time this will happen because we are going to be leaving, but um, our Airbnb in Albania has been situated literally, no exaggeration, on top of a building site, directly on top of a building site. It is like nothing I've ever experienced in the I mean, I'm not complaining because Albania is beautiful and hot and it's delicious and it's beautiful to look at and everything is great. But my word, it should not be legal to rent places out where it sounds like you could fall to the ground at any moment because we are digging underneath your apartment. Um, so I will, be, I will hope like, that they stay quiet for the next hour. Usually they're quite quiet after about four o'clock. So fingers crossed. Um, any news happened this week? Anything that we need to cover? I think it's been a pretty chill week after the last couple, was it? I think so. I think it has. I think we just crack on with mission since we have many, many questions. Are you drinking iced coffee? Uh, I am, yeah. You know, when you're like, mm, it's potentially a little bit too late, but I really wanted one and I could also just feel like my eyes were really tired. So I was like, nah, who needs sleep tonight? It's totally fine. Just, just take the risk. I haven't had caffeine in months and then. We got one yesterday and they don't really like decaf here. And I didn't know if they understood us correctly or not. Did not get a decaf. And I've not had coffee once, so I was lying in bed at about half a ten, wired. I made I did my full half hour meditation session and I was like, okay, now I'm still awake. So that's <laughs> <laughs> unlike, <laughs> unlike me. Yeah, unlike me that I've I've just discovered that you can mix because usually I, I love I just genuinely just love an espresso in the morning. And now I was like, oh, actually, I, I got some soya milk chocolate flavor. And now I mix it with the coffee and it's like a mocha. Oh. And now I'm obsessed. <laughs> oh, that it sounds amazing. So that sounds incredible. I like to use um, the vanilla soya I make at frosting and put that on top of coffee. That's good too. Oh, I'm going to try that mocha ice when I get back. <laughs> That's a great show. Um, okay, let's crack on. Um, Anna, do you want to go first? Yes. Uh, how to stop telling myself it's okay to mindlessly eat or eat lots later on in the day because of HA recovery? Super common. Super, super common. And I think it's what, what, I, mean I, say, what I mean when I say it's super common when you're recovering from HA, it's common that you find yourself overeating at night. And it's almost like the story that you tell yourself in your head is, well, I need more calories, so I may as well just eat more. 
and so then you end up overeating and then you and then you have this internal battle of is this a bad thing because I'm overeating but or is it a good thing because I need to eat more calories for HA and then you kind of mindlessly overeat a little bit and then the next day what usually happens is you restrict a little bit it's just you sort of still fall into that restriction overeating cycle but you sort of think of it as not really a problem even though sometimes you think it is a problem it's really I totally know this internal battle and it's so 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 common so uh don't feel that you're doing something wrong because you're having this kind of conversation in your head it's really quite common I would say um usually it comes from still maybe not quite eating enough in the day and because if, if you think about it you're overeating is potentially a little bit because of the discomfort that you're feeling or the lack of control that you're already feeling or the uncertainty that you're feeling that might be contributing to your overeating but but it's less kind of out of control so to speak as maybe some other people in general who are dealing with overeating again I'm just generalizing here this is not always the case so if you were truly satisfied through the day if you were genuinely like I am eating probably a little bit past satiety because when you've got HA, you, you want to usually eat past a little bit past fullness, a little bit past satiety. And if you were doing that every three hours, which is roughly what we recommend, you're probably, you're much less likely to mindlessly or overeat at night if you are including all these foods. So it's likely that you're still restricting just a little bit in some way. And that's what we want to focus on. But at the same time, giving yourself a break of that is quite a common thing that we see happen. And Anna, you've worked with it hundreds of people with HA and I think you'll probably agree that this is just super common. Yeah, yeah, super common and I see it with those that are working to restore their cycle, but equally those that have come from a really restricted background and perhaps underweight as well, because weight gain is the goal, so to speak, for health. Um, and like you said, there's that, that, that battle in that, well, it, it's okay because I know that ultimately that is going to help towards my goal, but it's so important to get those, those fundamentals in place in the here and now. And like you said, getting um, larger meals in, so you are eating to satiety or, or slightly past fullness to reduce the, the likelihood of overeating because it can then, even when you are at a healthy weight, even when your cycle has restored, it can then continue on and become more of a, a binge eating episodes. So yeah, I really kind of, I see that what Anna you're describing, I see it a lot in clients that they struggle kind of with saving up calories for later on in the day. And then of course, kind of that leading to mindless eating. And I think we're then more susceptible to emotional eating in the evening as well. Something to consider as well, that even, you know, sometimes even clients with kind of HA that can still use food as as comfort so potential exploring if I'm perhaps feeling also more tired or anything else usually in the evening we have more alone time more time to see with our thoughts and feelings so could that be something potentially that is happening mm. yeah um deny question um so I have actually two similar questions about creatine uh, should I be taking creatine is the question. So I've heard it's mentioned on the podcast a couple of times. I'm not sure its purpose or who it would benefit. For reference, I'm a 28-year-old female who does strength training regularly and has fitness and health goals. Yes. 
Yes. <laughs> Where's Emma to answer this? I know she loves to answer <laughs> the question. <laughs> she does. Yes. Um, creatine. Ideally, we should all be taking creatine, um, not just for the potential muscle mass benefits and strength benefits, but also because of potentially impacts on potentially cognition. It is a supplement that I would always recommend. And at about five grams a day, any time of day, any way you want it, just get it in you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got uh, my mum on it because of the, the benefits or potential benefits. Oh, I don't know what that was. <laughs> potential benefits for cognitive function, but also helping to maintain muscle mass as she's post-menopausal. Yeah, such a good idea. My mum won't take it. I'm going to try it again. It's been a while since I mentioned it to her, so I might try again. Um, okay, one of Steph's questions. My sister mentioned the other day in an observation way rather than at all critical that she thinks I started to struggle to lose weight after I had the Kylina IUS inserted in March 2021. I don't want to have it taken out to realise it wasn't that because I found insertion so painful and I prefer it over the pill for reliability and other side effects. One of the main reasons I wanted it is because it's more localised version of the hormones. Do you have any thoughts on one, if it could cause weight gain difficulty to lose, difficulty to lose in some women, and two, if it is worth trialing removing it, which I'm really not keen on doing. GPs at my practice are useless and all parrot the same thing, but there being no weight related side effects to pill. Sorry, I thought I was going to sneeze there. <laughs> We kept calling it on. We've got, um, I'm allergic to something in Albania, but we've also inherited a couple of cats that we're trying to feed up. Um, and I'm allergic to cats as well. So I'm just like coughing everywhere. I do, I do. <laughs> but they were so, it was so sad. We saw them on the side of the road yesterday and a woman was giving them water and there's no big cat around. And then today the woman wasn't there and one of them, it just looked like it was, looked like it was nearly dead. It was so sad. And then the other one was kind of just wandering around. So we took them on our walk and we've brought them back home and we've given them some food and they demolished a whole egg. Now that's a lot of food for two tiny little kittens. They are they are the size of like our hand. Um, and they've had that in their water and now they're just napping outside and the little one that looked like it was dead is like been running around and stuff. So, well, it's been walking around. So we're hoping that they're on the mend and we're going to get them back tomorrow or the next day. When we leave. Is this filling the, was it Pedro? Like the Pedro void from exactly. Mexico? <laughs> exactly that. No Pedro, but two baby little cats. They're called Luna and Venus. Mine is Luna, the introverted sad one that was nearly dead. And Emma's is Venus, the one that just runs around scratching everyone. <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> um, yeah, they're very cute. Um, so back to the question. The reason that your GPs are saying the same thing about there not being any related side weight related side effects is because there is no guaranteed side effect to a hormonal contraceptive. So the depot provera shot is the only shot that has the only shot, the only contraception that has some evidence that suggests it might contribute to weight gain. That is the only one. And it's only in some people, there's a large genetic component to how you respond to contraceptives which is why one of the reasons at least why there's so much variability so it's it could contribute to weight gain but it does this through impacting your energy balance so it could mean that you're maybe hungrier like I think this person has said they're hung they feel hungry all the time and um, it could be that um but it could also potentially reduce your appetite it could also be stopping for example the fluctuations in hunger that you get through your cycle 
and coming off it might actually exacerbate those fluctuations and you see more hunger in your luteal phase or it could you could find that your appetite comes down there's the reason that no one has given you a specific answer is because there is the science just tells us there is no specific answer usually when it comes to body composition though regardless it's coming down to energy in versus energy out so it might mean that you are hungrier it might mean that you move less it might mean um that you therefore eat more um which makes fat loss harder but it doesn't have a direct impact on your body composition so that's one of the reasons why we never say to somebody you should come off contraception because it's totally your choice and some people respond really well to it coming off it but other people actually they find that their hormones then are really super fluctuating and they find that they're more prone to emotional eating or low mood and low body image there's so many factors to consider that that's why you can't get a straight answer and I sort of touched on this on a post yesterday there are people out there on social media who claim to understand these things more than anyone else and sometimes they're doctors and they say this contraception has always has this outcome and it's just not the case and that is often just a market employer for people to make money or scaremongering and that or like that natural fallacy of well natural is always better and it's not the case unfortunately I mean from from what she said obviously she really she really likes this form of contraception albeit it was painful to begin with you're getting on really well with it on the whole so I don't think it's I think it's worth considering obviously everything you've you've mentioned but also I don't know about you but all of my friends blamed the pill when they started taking it for weight gain but actually there was also lifestyle factors involved like is around maybe uni time or times that they were going out drinking, socialising more, getting into relationships where these things do change. You perhaps are a bit more relaxed with eating, with drinking, moving a little bit less. So there are other factors to consider as to what may have potentially led to some weight gain or made it diff more difficult to lose the weight. Yeah, that's such a good point. I actually answered a question in this IVF group that I'm part of today and someone said, I've been taking prenatal vitamins for six months and it's led to, has anyone else have found that it leads to weight gain and specifically stomach fat? And someone else said, oh yeah, I found something similar. And this is where these types of kind of conversations start and these rumors start. And it's like, again, there's no way, there's no physiological way that a, that a multivitamin, unless it is 500 calories of pill of multivitamins, which is impossible, leads to changes in body composition. Um, but it's it's easy it's easier to go to that than it is something else um okay anna um question oh it's back to, back to me um so this is i think off the back of um our question last week around <clears throat> letting go of shame and it's how do we forgive ourselves what are some practical ways to approach it I've just realized that I genuinely don't understand self-forgiveness or I'm not allowing myself to have that gift for some reason. I would really get curious to understand why you're not allowing yourself to experience experience it, like what you've 
but have you made it mean in a way? What does it mean if I do forgive myself? Because I feel a lot of the times it's a little bit similar to self-compassion in a way. Like, Emilia, you did that podcast where you were talking about fears that people have towards kind of being compassionate towards yourself. And I think that's also really relevant here because if we associate it with, oh, I'm actually going to, not in a way letting myself go, but I'm not taking perhaps a responsibility for what happened or I'm going to repeat the same mistake if I forgive myself or I don't deserve the forgiveness, then it's going to be really, really difficult to do that. So I think getting curious to understand more about the part of you that is finding it hard will be quite helpful to then challenge that and be also more understanding. And then like you were saying, kind of lean into that discomfort that it's not going to feel uncomfortable. It's not going to feel comfortable, of course, same way that compassion doesn't come naturally for most uh, people, but through kind of your daily actions, you've got that choice to continuously kind of practice that. Yeah, I agree. I'd also say um, this is a good time to consider the difference between guilt and shame. And that shame is really corrosive. It's really unhelpful. It doesn't allow us to move forward and progress. Whereas guilt, I think guilt can sometimes be a, a useful emotion sometimes. I'm not talking about irrelevant guilt or I'm not talking about unjustified guilt but example if I cheat on a partner I think guilt is useful because I will learn from that guilt and I'll say I don't want to feel this guilt anymore I won't cheat on this next person um guilt is guilt is like the difference between guilt and shame is I did a bad thing guilt I am a bad person shame or I cheated on my partner therefore I'm awful um, I cheat on my partner, guilt, I am a cheater, shame. And the difference being, how do you think you act if you say in your next relationship, if, if you go from, okay, I cheated on my last partner. Okay, you go into a new relationship with a fresh start. If you go into a new relationship saying, I'm a cheater, how do you think your actions then marry up to that? Because we like to be right. We like to prove ourselves right and we like to fall into our core beliefs and our we like to align our actions with what we truly believe about ourselves. And so if you're struggling to forgive yourself, think about what it is that you're struggling to forgive yourself. And are you internalizing that as your as as your being? Are you, say for example, it's something relatively small, so you overate, let's say, and you feel shame about that, and you are saying, I really struggle to forgive myself. I'm a failure. I this is just how I am this is just my relationship with food versus I feel guilty because I overeat on something they're quite distinct now and don't ever condone feeling guilty for food this is not the same as cheating on your partner it's kind of the point um but if you're internalizing it as part of your being it's very very hard to forgive yourself everyone does shit things everyone messes up and this is part of compassion of just saying we all balls up, we all have flaws, we all don't all cheat on our partners, but we all do something that we're like, probably shouldn't have done that, or that was a mistake, and we have to apologise, and let yourself be wrong, accept that we all make mistakes, accept that we're all wrong, apologise to people that you piss off, apologise to yourself if you do something, and don't internalise it as a part of your core self, and like I said, it takes, it takes time, but it's worthwhile doing because how do you want to choose to live the rest of your life? Nothing, nothing to add to that. <laughs> Did I go for it? 
So lots of uh, hormone related questions today. Uh, since I have an uh, UID and do not get period, does that mean I still go through the fluctuation of hormones? I think I do because there are times in the month where I still feel bloated or gain weight, have an increase of hunger, etc. Yeah, IUD. Yeah. Uh, IUD, sorry. Okay. <laughs> That's a <Yeah>. UID. <laughs> um, some, some people do, some people don't. Again, it's, it's physiologically, you're, you shouldn't really be going through that because exogenous hormones, hormones outside your body will, will change those natural fluctuations. And so on a surface level, you probably wouldn't see those things. Does that mean that it's impossible? No. Does it mean that you maybe get some mild fluctuations? Possibly. Does it invalidate your experience? No. And I think... We would never say it doesn't happen, but I do think it's important to kind of check in. This is not this person, but in general, with anything related to your period, is this actually happening or is this what I expect to happen? That is a really important question to ask yourself because some luteal phases, you might wake up and think, I'm absolutely starving. This is genuinely happening. My stomach is grumbling. And in other ones, you think it's not at all. You're actually not that hungry, but you've told yourself you're going to be hungry and vice versa with training and things like that. So if that is genuinely happening for you, then it's genuinely happening for you. We're not going to say, well, science is it physiologically that's going to happen. Physiologically, it's less likely, but it's certainly not possible. Um, okay, next question. How to camp as a hot girl? Top tips for communing with nature when your sensory issues prevent you from being able to touch grass. This is a joke, but it also isn't. I love going hiking and camping, but I struggle badly with skin issues anyway and sensory ones. I'm curious if anyone else has the same problems. Can you, uh, I missed the, the first part of the question. How to camp as a hot girl, top tips for communing with nature when your sensory issues prevent you from being able to touch grass, which is, she says is a bit of a joke, but she has skin issues, which I'm imagining is maybe similar to like, allergies and hay fever I get that a bit when I sit on grass and I, I turn out in rash so I mean I'm in that I'm the least experienced person when it comes to camping since I've never camped in my life what are you so, doing tonight I'm missing out in life I know it's it's been on my list for quite a while but still hasn't happened let's go let's go like district <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know maybe maybe I'm not the right person to ask because I get awful hay fever I'm allergic to dust so obviously being out with horses in nature isn't less than ideal but just have a hay fever and suck it up <laughs> that's that's me yeah I mean my, one of my old clients was a doctor and she said antihistamines only really work if you start taking them in winter and then you build up build them up over time so i'm sorry person who's asked this question you're a bit late on the antihistamines but i mean doctors can prescribe stronger ones for sure which was probably a good idea if you are struggling with it my top tips for hot girl camping bring uno uno is the best game of all time and i say camping i go glamping every year with my best friend in off <laughs> Sometimes we're yeah, it's not the same. You you can't compare the two. I'm sorry. You're right. It's not. Um, sometimes we sleep in a small tent, but 
I have been camping multiple times. It's close. Wrap up form. Oh, I went camper vanning last year with Joe for five days in the west coast of Scotland. And um, what are they called? Like the giant hoodie dressing gown things. What are they called? Hoodies. Are they? Hoodies? Yeah. Yeah. Hoodies. How that? Yeah. Or um, oh, dry robes. I think that yes. like waterproof on the outside, towel in the middle, and they're massive so you can get changed underneath them. Yes. They're great. Want something like that. And they are che- there are cheaper versions of those things. Things like that. I would also say... Flops for the changing rooms if there are changing rooms. Yes. Oh, and and, and a, a makeup bag with a string, a drawstring, so you can hang it on the hook so you don't... I say makeup bag. I mean toiletry bag. You're not going to be wearing makeup. But so you can hang it on the hook rather than putting it on the floor. That's a good one. And also, mm-hmm. bring tins of beans and veggie sausages because they're just great. Yes. Yes. So much yes. <laughs> that's it. And remember your sun sunscreen for your face. And your skincare is still important. So make sure you bring your essentials for that. And I think that's it. Just don't roll in the grass. Bring a blanket and then you don't need to roll in the grass. Or bring some chairs. We did that last year. If you can, this is, this is, I know this is extra. <laughs> Very extra. But a sleep chair, honestly. They're the best. What's that? So good. It's, um, I think what people that fish use, like, so they're super comfy because obviously they're sat on the on the side for so long, but you can lie at them flat. So you don't have to deal with the hard ground or just like a ground mat. You're up away from the ground because I always get worried that even though it's shut away, like bugs are still going to get inside. Bugs, and they are so comfy. Bugs definitely get inside let's be real you just stay in denial do you know what i woke up no it wasn't why didn't wake up yesterday yesterday i was having some sort of allergy to something and i got hive, a hive on my face i had a hive on my face for a long time under my eye and i was like it was huge so we, i think that comes from bugs so there you go there you go that's our tips for a hot girl camping session and i feel like you should probably be really enlightened i think that was well the cats are awake i think that was very informative Mm, I yeah. know it's still guys. Thank you. <laughs> Ready for my company. Guys, just not the not the hot girl. Like camping and hot girl. I'm not sure those two align very well. Um, I mean, not for us. Let's be honest. No offense. <laughs> what do you mean? Um. Okay. Anna, question. Uh, any tips on dealing with brutal negativity from a friend who is going through a super hard time? She seems to be blaming everyone everything in her life on others she's my best friend and I don't want to cut her out but I find her negative energy really affects me and brings me down I would say do you have to block delete and move on or could you just mute for a while in life and online I think sometimes having some space from friends can be really helpful and important and friendships can get a lot sometimes and it's okay to just take a step back and hang out a little bit less for a while or just not hang out for a while you can still be there for the person but if they are in messages and stuff being quite negative then then don't buy into it and kind of change the subject don't um so if someone was talking to me about someone else and slagging them off 
I wouldn't say anything to them. I just wouldn't. I would be like, okay, yeah, and then change the subject. But I wouldn't tell them they shouldn't be saying that. Although I sometimes, no, I, I wouldn't. But at the same time, sometimes it can be helpful because that's not helping her to have that type of headspace either. But you gotta be careful because having that conversation with someone where you say you're really negative right now can be so patronizing and it could it could smack you in the face. So if you still want to see them, then have the conversation, I think, and say, um, like, is everything okay? I know that you've gone through a lot, but it just sounds like you are falling into like quite a, a hard headspace. Um, how can I support you in this? Rather than, I wish you'd stop being so negative, like ask, how can I support you in this? And see what comes up. It's not an easy conversation to have, but they might not even recognize that they're doing it. And they might be mortified that they've, they're turning into somebody who is quite negative because they've got things going on. And if they don't take it on board, then I would just back off for a little bit and let them process what they're going through. You know, you can still reach out, let them know that you're there, but that doesn't mean that you have to hang out with them all the time. Love what you're saying. I love that question. How can I support? I think a lot of the times it's almost like we feel we have the responsibility to do everything and fix the other person, especially when it's a friend that we're very close to. But unfortunately, there is also so much we can do, and it's still important to have our own boundaries. And I think something else that's kind of helpful sometimes is think about what has helped you perhaps manage your own negative thoughts so you can present it to her as, oh, when I struggle with similar thoughts and stuff going on, that has really helped me. So it's not as patronizing because you're talking more about your own experiences and then maybe she can benefit from uh, from that. But yeah, I think boundaries is a huge one here because I think sometimes we're afraid to say, oh, I just need some time. Uh, I just have a lot going on at the moment. I cannot offer you the space for this, right? Even kind of saying that, that and having that boundary and knowing that you're still being a good friend. And in fact, you're doing the right thing because you can be there for her more when you are in the right space for it. Tonight, uh, question. I don't actually have any other questions. I've got some questions of yours that we haven't answered yet, so I'll just crack on. Um, how long does it take to heal your relationship with food? Hmm. What do you say? How long's a piece of floss? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it really first of all, it really depends on the person. I mean, we always say that to all of to, to everyone. And I think healing my relationship with food looks very different for every person. I don't think there is one distinct. I mean, there are generally speaking things that we know is 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 part of having a a, a happy, healthy relationship with food, but I, I think it does look very different for a lot of people and the background you're coming from where your struggles are coming from so every time someone is asking me that question I always try to be as honest as possible and just say that it really depends what you're bringing what you might discover throughout uh throughout uh the the journey and I mean one thing that I've seen quite a lot as a little bit of a pattern I do think it's also an age thing sometimes do I struggle with like am I 20 and that's been an issue for me for two two years versus am I 15 that's been an issue for me for 30 years that's going to also play a really really big factor in terms of how ingrained those thoughts th um, thought feelings kind of behaviors are yeah I completely agree I wish it was as straightforward as six weeks to heal your relationship with food but it's not otherwise we would be giving you a six-week program that just we could help you with that um I agree with everything that you said. I think 
it's really hard not to focus on the outcome, but all of the most successful behavior changes, no matter if it's relationship with food or fat loss or business, whatever it is, all of the kind of methods that are most successful involve focusing on the process, on the systems and not the outcome. So I know how much you want to get to this end point, but A, what is the end point? The end point is different for everyone, like you said, deny, but B, looking forward often to how far you've still got to go for a lot of people is quite unmotivational. What's demoralizing is the word I'm looking for and can be quite like, can stifle you and change for not everyone, but people who tend to have low feelings of self-worth and self-esteem, those tend to be the types of people who are working on a relationship with food as a whole. That can be quite difficult. So I know that you want a timeline, but one day you will wake up and you'll go, oh, that, that's great. I ate a donut last night and went to bed and that will be a big tick. And then you can internalize that and, and then these things will keep coming. There just isn't a kind of straight up answer. You know, I've had clients work with me for the least amount of time I'd say someone's worked with me in the last couple of years is probably six months, but that's a very minimum. Um, and I have clients who've worked with me for four years and I've only been running this business for five years. Um, but that's because they've got the, their great relationship with food and then they just want to carry on because it's, you know, we just have such a banner because I'm just so funny. Their relationship with food is it's all good, but they might have then gone into a fat loss goal and then a hypertrophy goal and then a different type of goal and that's fine so yeah it's we can't give you a clear answer unfortunately um okay Steph's question I am returning to coaching with Seth oh no we did that question I'm currently super hungry but due to illness I can't do much physical activity should I be listening to hunger cues and eating the way I do when I'm well despite being very inactive I would and I'm not saying it's not physical hunger, <clears throat> but check in that it is physical hunger. Obviously, working with Steph, you'll be working through being able to differentiate between physical and otherwise, because if you're not as active as you usually are, perhaps it's you're noticing it because you're you've got more time. Um, and if it is physical hunger and you don't have a fat loss goal, then I would honour it. That's where I'm at with it anyway. <laughs> yeah, see, this is funny, isn't it? Because I would say the same. And then I think that other people might say not. Um, the thing is, when you're ill, is that you don't know what your body is doing to fight off that illness. And your immune system needs energy to recover from that. And that's why we always would avoid a deficit when you're ill or when you're recovering from surgery despite the fact that you are less active, we normally say just make sure that you're still eating enough to recover. And that would be the general consensus here too. Um, I would, I mean, realistically, if you're working with Steph, you're going to be monitoring things week to week anyway. So I would agree with Anna, at least initially and in honoring that hunger, but making sure that you are getting most of your food from protein, carbs, fat, like health, again, healthful, colourful, fibre-rich, um, nutrient-rich foods and relatively fewer processed foods as a whole, like the 80-20 rule. So that will help in terms of your hunger regulation. And then 
because you can't really say honor your hunger if all you're eating is I don't know trying to think of an extreme here pop tarts and cereal or something I don't really know um you could, like honoring your hunger then you're going to eat in the calorie surplus so remember when we're looking at eating intuitively it's not just about honoring your hunger hunger and fullness cues it's also about eating mindfully it's also about honoring your health and making healthful choices which include things like protein fiber veg etc so i would agree with you Anna, and then just monitor things as time goes on it just depends how long you're inactive for if you're only inactive for a week it's going to make zero difference but if it's six months then yeah you want to monitor it a bit more closely Anna. after having my baby i am struggling with patience and rushing back into training and dieting the rational part of my brain knows that my goals are rebuilding muscle and working on my relationship with food, but the irrational part of my brain looks in the mirror and doesn't like what she sees and wants to drop calories. I know I've probably answered my own question, but any tips for being more patient in the postpartum period where rehab is boring but necessary? I think it's, it's, it's a hard one because it's kind of wanting that quick fix and you lose the weight now versus thinking about what's going to support everything, your your health and your relationship with food in the longer term. And I think it's a lot about accepting where you currently are and accepting that it's hard and that you don't like what you see in the mirror and that's okay right now, but you're also actively doing things to look after your health and your body. And in fact, choosing to take a different approach because from what I understand here now, she's focusing more on just building strength back up and improving food relationship. All of that is then ultimately, ultimately getting you to a place where you can also then focus, if, if that's what you choose to do down the line, actively diet in a way that's going to be much more sustainable, enjoyable, and yeah, and create habits that you're going to have for life with you. I was going to say also reframe this, this part where, yes, you're not able to train in the way that you, you enjoy training at the moment, but seeing this as, setting yourself up getting your body prepared to go back into training so this this is actually a really vital part of your recovery so yes it's not as enjoyable but this is like the stepping stone to where you want to be I agree and I also would add on that you're never going to get this time again with your family the way that it is right now and that doesn't invalidate the fact that it's bloody frustrating it doesn't invalidate the fact that it's bloody hard um, or, or all of the feelings that you're going through, but the time that you are saving on not training so intently is time that you can use with your family or you can use to sleep or you can use just to stay at your baby forevermore, whatever you want to do. Um, that This is a time for you to go. It's, it's similar to what we used to say in the pandemic the first time around. It was, of course, so frustrating not being able to go to the gym and you know we were all losing our minds a little bit but now we look back and you think I love that time when I had to stay in all weekend I love that time when I didn't have to justify why I was my social media was the most boring place on earth I loved all of that stuff and it's like and I loved just getting in and doing a 20 minute deadlift in the snow and then came back inside and that was all I could do for my training that day I mean of course I could have done more but you know this was me um so I think it's hindsight is wonderful and when you're in 10 years time when your your babies are or baby or babies are older 
you look back and be like, I, Brene Brown talks about it, doesn't she? She says, every time you look at your baby, it's like you say goodbye to the baby that they were and then hello to a new person. And it's like, you. every time you look at like a 10 year old, you see that 10 year old when they were nine, eight, seven, six, five, all the way through. So treasure the moment that, treasure the moments when you can. It's certainly not me saying it's not bloody hard, but treasure the moments when you can, because they're, they'll go, be gone soon and then you'll be on to a new thing and keep doing all the stuff that you were saying I'm in deny about like you're right it's a necessary part it's just a necessary part of your training that you have to do um deny uh, oh. I don't have any other questions so I know, yeah. right I'm do you have any other ones for me yeah okay I have and still do to a lesser to a lesser extent since working with deny struggle with thinking that people are judging me when I eat I, however, find myself judging other people. I think that this comes from years of me telling myself what I should and shouldn't eat. And as such, I think I have started to reflect this onto others when I see them eating. I wouldn't class myself as a judgmental person, but when it comes to food, this is something I can do. How can I stop doing this? As I know I have no right in judging anyone else and I don't want to be thinking about what other people are eating. I just want to focus on the environment that we're in, enjoy it and focus on my food and feelings. Um, <laughs> yeah I mean great awareness and I think spot on in that your your relationship with food is projecting those those judgments onto other other people um, and obviously the work you're doing with deny on like food neutrality is really going to help that and I think in the meantime actively calling yourself out when you notice those judgments happening is is probably where I'd start yeah I I agree I think I think what's amazing is that you've noticed that your judge the judgment is not about anyone else realistically the probability would suggest that no one is judging what you're doing and it is coming from your own internal narrative so food neutrality is super important here but also challenging challenging why you think it's appropriate or needed to judge other people so think about what is judging someone else doing for you other than leading you potentially to feeling resentful or like we are so drawn to comparison but comparison is not helping you if you judge them for what they're eating in terms of say they're eating cake or whatever often we judge people because they're doing something that we wish that we could do so, for example, if someone's sitting eating cake or whatever, what, it makes zero difference to you if they're eating cake or not. Why it pisses you off is because you feel like you can't sit and eat cake nonchalantly. I remember being raging when I was on prep and I saw a girl nonchalantly eating a Krispy Kreme coming out of the Tesco on the escalators. And she, she was on her phone, she's eating a Krispy Kreme. And I was like, oh, I'll never be able to just eat a Krispy Kreme and just be like, Bleh, just eating a Krispy Kreme. And obviously now I am that girl, except not on my phone, because, you know, I'm always mindful. But it's about, like, you have to figure out what that feeling is. If you're judging other people, is it because they're doing something that you want to be able to do and then work on that? Or is it because you think that, that what they're eating is inherently unhealthy or bad? Then work on your food neutrality. Figure out the source of that judgment and why you are judging them and then work on that. Very spot on, and that's exactly what we were 
discussing uh, together as well that not a lot of people admit that we do these judgments and not a lot of people are aware to know that those come from our own internal judgments. So I think the fact that, you know, you're being honest with yourself and you're recognizing it is, is, is a great thing in itself. And now it's just about, again, it's a choice of knowing it's not helping you and it's not um, and uh, choosing, yeah, to challenge it, to call it out compassionately. And I think that's the key there. Yeah. Um, okay. I um, have Steph's question. I'm currently super hungry, but due to illness, I can't do much physical activity. Should I be listening to punk or cues? Did that well. <laughs> oh my God. I was reading out the top of my brain. Um, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Steph's next question. Um, what are the best ways to change habits? Hmm. I mean, that also really depends in terms of kind of what habits we are talking about I think the main thing is kind of think about what is it that I want to change and kind of really breaking down because I think a lot of times we think about what we want to do and we try to dive right into it kind of go all the way in and then it's not sustainable or too challenging and then we kind of give up and then we internalize it we think that we cannot do it and then we don't try again so I think with anything that you're trying to do it's always important to start small and I say that to a lot of my clients especially when they first start this process with us because when they 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 know they have a lot of habits that they want to change and they can which is great to have that excitement oh I want to change xyz but I think can also be a little bit overwhelming because then it's not actually sustainable if I think about how much time and headspace I have day to day Uh, because it is hard when we are changing and building new habits so I think yeah breaking it down into small steps focusing on one thing at a time and being really clear why it's important for you to change it and how it aligns with your values. So it all feels that it comes from that, again, place of choice and wanting it rather than feeling that you should. I agree. I think practically, like you're so right. First of all, they have to be aligned with your values and understand how they align. But practically, there are a number of things. Um, now, I don't necessarily agree with everything in this book atomic habits but if it's something that you are interested in it's certainly worth reading or listening to um there are lots of practical strategies in terms of habit changes in there again some of which i agree with some of which i agree less with but some of the really basic ones habit stacking and we've spoken about this before on podcasts but i think habit stacking is one of the most transformational um things that you can do to support behavior change and change habits so my one i always say is in order for me to have a coffee, I've had to, I make sure that I drink half a bottle of water when I wake up, take my supplements whilst my coffee's making, then I'm allowed my coffee. And habit stacking just involves doing something at the, like at the same time or stacking it on before or after, something that you already do. So if it's meditation, maybe you add meditation on to maybe your morning coffee, you do two minutes of mindful breathing when you have your morning coffee. Or if it's the gym, slightly harder to stack onto but maybe it's you go to the gym when you drop your kids off at school you don't go home you go straight to the gym or when you go pick them up you go straight to the gym first and then you go and pick them up um or maybe you food prep on a Sunday like you stack it with listen to your favorite podcast and that's another thing you can do is um reward yourself with something that you that's easy for you and that you love so when I used to prep and I would do cardio which I didn't really like I would watch Gossip Girl and I worked at that time tons and tons of hours in the day but I still made sure that that time was for Gossip Girl because I knew that I would I didn't need the driver to do it I was going to do it anyway but it certainly helped me to do that so 
think about something that you enjoy and how can you incorporate that enjoyment into that specific habit and also make sure that you're not trying to change all of your habits at once especially if these are habits you've had over a hell of a long time you're building new habits so it's going to take your time to change them so pick a couple even just one let's change that habit now and then pick another one and obviously if you're working with Steph she's going to introduce new habits so and she'll introduce them in a in a kind of timely manner so it's not like you've got tons and tons to do at once and that's why we don't have a system where we say okay on week two you will get this on week three you will get this because that's just not how habit and behavior habits and behavior change work and imperfect action just wanted to add it in there because i just love it <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, anna um how do i challenge and get over my food rules and guilt when how I look and putting on weight is such a trigger for me. I know I put on weight as clothes are getting tighter and that's having more effect on my negative thoughts and feelings about myself. I don't want to keep putting on weight for my physical health as well as my mental health. So I did a post on something like this today and it's not necessarily about physical health, but I was talking about the internalized thin ideal internalized weight stigma and what we associate weight gain to mean and I think it's super important that you first of all figure out what weight gain means to you often it means that we feel like we've been unsuccessful in some way that we are less than in some way because that is very much a societal thing and what I don't like is often we say well it's just society just normalizes this so that's just the way that I have to think and it's like no no we can challenge it's hard but we can challenge this and say like because the, the reason I put a post about it was someone said um how do you feel when you've gained weight um not sure if they saw my holiday pictures or what but they were they said <laughs> how do you feel when you've gained weight and I was like or how do you stop yourself from feeling bad when you've gained weight or something like that and I said like, well why why do you assume I'd feel bad because I've gained weight I could feel great about gaining weight but that is your internalized uh, stigma around bigger body sizes it's your internalized narrative that thinner is better and thinner means more success thinner means better self-worth etc etc so I would first of all look into that side of things and then I would also say that this is not a forever thing in that if you're working with Anna you're not going to be gaining weight that's going to negatively impact your health long term but that's not what we do if you're improving your relationship with food, you might find that you gain a little bit of weight. And if you are in a larger body, then that's not going to keep that. That's not going to keep going. And at some point it will start to balance off. But the only way out of this is through it. If you are someone who does gain weight through that process, if you are in a smaller body and I, and I, I don't know with this because we often work with people who are in smaller bodies who are scared about the health impacts of weight gain. And they've got a BMI of 22 and it's like, Got, you've got a while to go before it even remotely is potentially going to impact your your health so um i would try and trust the, the process of if you try and diet when your relationship with food is is really not great you are going to regain the weight regardless so try and embrace the opportunity for what it is now and know that if dieting is in the future the right thing for you to support your health then that's certainly something that you can do whether that be with anna or not we are very much health 
which sometimes does look like fat loss, but often looks like getting your relationship with food in the right place first before we consider that so that that fat loss then actually lasts. Yeah, so, so much to that. Uh, it, it's very normal part of the process. And well, whether you're, whether you're working with us or not, I know everyone will be able to relate that whenever they see the, the scales go up, even at maintenance, there's that, oh crap, what have I done? I need to, I need to reassess, I need to pull back here, there, somewhere. And I think you have to look long-term, okay, well, where do I want to be? Do I want to be able to eat freely? What do I need to do to achieve that? Okay, I am gonna have to lean into the discomfort here and, and just allow myself a bit more freedom with food and, and ride out this, this patch. But obviously I know this client and I know from her check-ins, her training's going phenomenally. And would that be the case unless you weren't allowing yourself that, that freedom and flexibility with food? Um, I also know she checked out a bum in the mirror when training and that was looking pretty good. So like weighing up the, yes, like you said, there's that, society tells us that weight gain is bad but you're also having a lot of really cool wins as a result of fueling yourself more sufficiently yeah you're totally right and focus on those wins every day think about like what three what three wins have I had today um super important okay um I will find another one of the nice questions on my list okay um how to stop overthinking oh. How to stop searching for the perfect way to eat and be. Also, how to deal with post meal sadness. For some reason, I get sad after a meal. I think because I've been so obsessed with food, it's such a highlight. And then when it's done, I have to find something else to think about. These are probably all tied in together overthinking, trying to find the perfect way to eat and be, and then post meal sadness. let go of the idea of needing a perfect way to eat because there isn't one it just needs to be what works for you and that might change daily weekly depending how you feel but obviously the work that you're doing is going to ensure that you are getting in everything you need to be um and having freedom with food and generally just enjoying yourself. Mm. I think reframing it, like the perfect way to eat is not perfect at all. That is the perfect way to eat. The perfect way to eat is imperfect. And it does include different foods. It does include processed foods sometimes. It does include um, variety. And I would say the same in terms of life, like the perfect human, doesn't exist perfection is a perception it's not a reality perfect to me might be Anna perfect to Anna might be denied perfect to Anna might be me it's it's all a perception so if you try and be perfect for one person's perception fine you might nail that but then what happens when you meet the next person then you're imperfect again and then you try and meet their perception and you're imperfect again you cannot it's perfection it doesn't exist and striving for perfection all the time is just giving you a reason not to do something. It's giving you a reason. It's like giving you an easy out of saying, well, I just need to focus on this over and over and over again until I get to the perfect place, whether that be the way that you are, the way that you eat, whatever it is. 
but you will never ever achieve it and what happens when you never achieve it is that you can consistently tell yourself that you're not enough and what does that do it just falls into our core beliefs that we are not enough in the first place and oh alas we've proved ourselves right again we have to break the cycle of saying if perfection doesn't exist i am striving for something that is completely unattainable as a means to show to myself that i'm not good enough and we have to say right I'm going to choose to be imperfect. I'm going to choose to show up to this podcast with unwashed hair. I'm going to choose to, I don't know, do a live yesterday with a big hive on my face. Whatever the case may be, we have to be more comfortable with that. And I think in terms of like the post-meal sadness, um, the fact that you think that you feel like you have to find something else to think about is probably answering your own question it's totally okay to find enjoyment from food. I love food and I love the enjoyment that I get from food. But when I finish food, I get excited then because I've got this bit of work that I want to do or this podcast that I've got to do or I get to go for a walk with Emma right now or get to go and stroke the kittens even though I come out in hives. Whatever it is, I don't feel sad about it finishing or I might be a bit like, oh, I'm sad that's over and then crack on with the next thing. So think about what else you love in life what is your purpose what brings you joy what brings you comfort and actively start working on those things as opposed to just waiting for that to happen yeah spot on and that's exactly everything that she's been working really hard and she's really progressed and i think finding other other means bringing more joy into day-to-day life from those kind of you know even small things that we do that we often take uh, for for granted and I think when food has become our only way of comfort especially when it comes I think for a lot of people kind of when we're using it as a way of suppressing especially kind of later in the evening because um, I think that was a big thing for, for my client in terms of coping with very unpleasant thoughts and feelings that were showing up especially evening time once it had more free space was a lot about creating an evening routine that works for her so even if she was actually struggling with something, she was giving herself space to sit with these feelings a little bit more and normalizing that, because that felt very much with the idea that everything needed to be perfect. So I'm not allowed to also then kind of feel unpleasant feelings, whereas kind of normalizing that that's also part of life. You're not always going to feel on top of the world and happy. Sometimes it's just sitting with that loneliness or sadness or whatever is happening and having tools to self-soothe. So she's doing a lot of meditation and journaling now as part of her evening routine it's been really helping yeah exactly that okay we're going to leave it there thanks everyone for your questions keep them coming in we've got plenty more to go thank you both very much thank you bye bye thanks so much for listening i hope you enjoyed it and as always if you did please do feel free to like share subscribe and review and if you would like to chat to me then you can find details of my instagram in the show notes